Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Ariel Weiss, an Alexander Technique teacher who works in Center City, Philadelphia, and Wallingford in Delaware County. Ariel also teaches at the Curtis Institute of Music and the University of the Arts, both in Philadelphia. Ariel has been an Alexander teacher for over 20 years, and we're going to be talking about how the Alexander Technique can help musicians. Ariel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Robert. Ariel, would you, would you begin by, by giving our listeners just a very short in, uh, definition or description of the Alexander Technique? And then talk, uh, if you could get, provide a specific example of how that, how the technique has helped a musician in your own teaching practice. Sure. So as an Alexander Technique teacher, I help people learn about their own coordination and how their thinking affects their functioning. So they learn about how they move and how they direct their thinking and how that affects the outcome of whatever it is they're doing, whether that's playing an instrument or sitting at their computer or just going about their lives. Mm-hmm. And, so with, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So with musicians, um, I have helped a number of musicians, unfortunately, who've come into my practice because they've injured themselves. Uh, musicians work very hard at what they do, and they work for very, very long hours at what they do. And if they're straining themselves even a little bit, that's going to get compounded with all that repetition. So what I like to point out to musicians is that they haven't learned about their own working parts. They've learned an awful lot about the instrument and about the music. And what I like to fill in for them is about their own working parts. So for instance, I have um, right now a clarinetist in my practice who was unable to play for several months. Um, so that was a bit of a urgent case. And we have been working steadily to show him how his arms can move freely, how if he doesn't tense up his neck and his shoulder, his arm is then able to move more freely. And then when he goes to press down on the keys, he's not adding undue pressure that's going to get him in trouble. So I'm happy to say he's back at work. Mm-hmm. And and could you give maybe one more example, a specific example of a of a musician or instrumentalist or singer who you've you've worked with? Certainly. The other kind of main category that I've worked with is musicians who have some form of stage fright, which is actually quite common among performers and often not talked about or supported. So what we work with is how they're responding to that stimulus of getting upset or anxious either about a specific performance or an audition. Sometimes it's a very specific note or passage. And we work quite directly with learning to respond in a a new supported way to help them kind of work through that transition. And that's been also hugely successful and and helps people do what they want to do. 
So I, I'm I'm putting myself uh, in the. I'm trying to imagine uh, being a musician, which which I'm not, but listening mm-hmm. to this and wondering, what is it that you you as an Alexander Technique teacher can show me, or help me with that my music teacher would would not be able to do. Well, I think there's two main ways that an Alexander teacher would work with the musician in a different way. One is that we fill in a lot of information about, or at least I do, about the, their physicality. You know, really some specific and more accurate information about their working parts, showing them how the two bones of the lower arm function quite differently for two different actions of rotation and flexion and extension. Um, musicians aren't really taught so much about their own physicality and physiology. And singers are taught some, and unfortunately what they're taught is not always very accurate. Um, So they have some strange ideas about ribs and diaphragms and things. And so to get that more accurately mapped often clears up a lot of excessive tension just in that action. Then we add in paying attention to how they're approaching that whole activity in terms of where their attention is and the quality of that attention. So a lot of times what I've found with people with stage fright is that they're quite ferociously narrowing what they're paying attention to. Now, that's not going to help them play music successfully. It's going to help them get more anxious. So they can actually learn to expand their awareness and pay attention to themselves physically. They can pay attention to the support underneath them in addition to the music, the maestro, listening to the other members of the orchestra, etc. So if a musician came to you for a lesson either because they were in pain or perhaps because of stage fright issues or maybe because they feel that there is the possibility they could play better and somehow yes. their their body, uh, their physical functioning is not what it maybe could be to get to get the best out of their instrument. What would What would typically happen when they come to your studio? Well, we'd first talk about what they're experiencing as they play. And from there, most often I'll watch them as they play or sing. And I'll look for where they might be interfering in a way that they don't quite know about. So they may sense tension in their shoulders. They may tense, they they may feel the tension in their hands. And they may not know that that tension is related to, they most often don't understand that that tension is related to a larger pattern of movement and and often extra movement and extra force that's not directed in a way that's helping the music playing. It's helping getting them tense. So, so the, I'll watch the, them play. Yeah. yeah. So the, they, they may be aware that they are tense or creating some uh, harmful tension when they play, but they may not know they may not 
fully understand the pattern and and perhaps how to how to usefully intervene to to reduce it. That's correct. Yeah. And that's what you would show them. Absolutely. And so, and could you say a little about how you do that in terms of you 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 talk to them and you also use your hands I I assume to to very gently guide them or to suggest uh a, a different a different way of of standing and playing and that sort of thing? Yes, I use my hands to show them another possibility and often we'll do table work to kind of get them moving more freely because then when they go to pick up their instrument, that's already going to give them a slightly different experience. Mm-hmm. Say and a little we- bit about table work because that's a, that's a sort of an Alexander Technique term. And maybe if you could just describe what's involved with table work and what the what its purpose is. Certainly. So a student will lie down on a table, a semi-supine that is laying on their back with their knees up to give some relief to their low backs. And we generally put some books underneath their head to provide support. And then I will use my hands to very gently guide the student in a movement in a direction of lengthening their spine and widening their backs and freeing their limbs away so that we're undoing some of the chronic and sometimes invisible holding and compressing that we all somehow get in a habit of doing. And We put students on a table because when they're not engaged in the job of holding themselves up, generally it's a bit easier to let go of some of that extra tension. And what happens is that the student has an experience of themselves with a bit more volume and a bit more ease. And when they get up off the tables, the contrast is usually a bit greater and easier for it to register. So it's a little less scary to do some of that letting go when you're lying on a big table. And also the impression is clearer to kind of comprehend or experience. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a deliberate retreat from activity in order to perhaps encourage the student to release a bit more. But then of course, the trick, of course, then is how can they take that back into activity usefully. Yes, and I always follow up table work with some kind of activity work. So for a musician, we spend quite a bit of time in how they pick up their instrument because very much of the tension patterns they are applying to the playing of that instrument are introduced far earlier in that action of picking up the instrument. Most of the musicians I work with have been playing for many, many years and for many, many hours every day. And so that action of picking up their instrument is habituated to a level that's pretty hard for them to kind of decipher what's going on. And so we we really look very carefully at how do I pick up my instrument? What am I doing with myself as I pick up my instrument so that I'm really ready that I'm tuned up to play. Mm-hmm. And 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 I would add to that even 
um, before picking up the instrument, even thinking about picking up the instrument or opening the violin case, for example, can often trigger some unconscious patterns of tension that are useful to address. Absolutely. And I also work a lot with musicians on carrying their instruments around. I'm working with a lot of students who are, well, all musicians, not all musicians, many musicians have to carry their instruments around. And if they're doing that in a harmful way that's pulling on themselves, then that's going to set them up to take all that tension into the playing of that instrument. Absolutely. Pity the poor cellist, for example. <laughs> yes. um, and I, I'd like to just um, reiterate a point that you made earlier of how hard, how, how much hard work is involved in being a musician. That I, I uh, before I came to the Alexander Technique, before I became a teacher, I always assumed that the people who really worked hard were were professional athletes, for example, uh, that that sort of thing. But um, when I started, when I first started teaching, uh, I, f- for one reason or another, a lot of my early students were musicians, and I, I very quickly realized that they were putting demands on their bodies that were pretty amazing to me students who uh, who would be doing a couple of shows a day if they were in a, a, a an orchestra for example a music uh, like a, a musical play they'd be in the orchestra and they'd be they had rehearsals and practice and it just and doing the same basic movements over and over again for hours and hours a day is an incredibly demanding uh, it's incredibly demanding on your body and so it really is important that you look after that body and look after how it's how it's being used as you as you play your instrument yes and and What's particularly exciting to me is that often people who come into my teaching practice come in uh, because there's a problem, and not only is it rewarding to help them do what they want to do, but the musicality itself, the artistry, always improves. And what's, what's so interesting to me is that a lot of the tension that those musicians are are kind of putting into their playing is kind of in the spirit, in the name of artistic expression or working hard. And, yes, yes. And I understand that as a performer. Uh, my own background is in dance and choreography, and I understand that real passion to express yourself. And I also understand uh, all too well how putting tension... We, we miss... We miss understand the tension as the expressiveness it's like a bad translation and when we take that that tension away what we start to get is really well aimed work so that the work is going right to the music right to the expression so that i see musicians uh, instrumentalists where the two arms really start to work well together in a very well coordinated way and I can hear a change and they can hear a change so that uh, they get more fluidity and more musicality and more connection to the emotion of the music which is often surprising to them because 
when I ask them not to press into their necks, it can be frightening. They feel like they're not putting their all into it. And so it's it's really something new to learn, to put to put your all into it without the tension is a new experience. Absolutely. And and I I think you've raised a really good point that a lot of times uh, musicians, and not just musicians, but people in a lot of different fields, tend to equate uh, tension or trying hard with 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 um a, a, an as as a, a thing to do to make the performance better yes and really uh often that trying hard is just adding uh unhelpful tension to your body and in fact is restricting the quality of the performance i know that in my own experience uh, with workshops for example where you you might might be working with a singer and uh, might ha- might be helping her to sing with less tension and everyone in the room just immediately can can sense that this the sound is is fuller and freer but the singer might initially think that's not legitimate singing there's not that tension that i associate with singing and so it takes a little a little work a little little um feedback to to really get that through to a, a, a musician at first sometimes well yes because what we're asking our students to do is to suspend for a moment what they know or think they know about support mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they have been supporting themselves in a particular way that's not necessarily supporting them more but that is what they associate or equate with support and so to get them to 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 willingly kind of suspend for a moment what they know and believe and and what i ask them to do is to find out if it's working better find out if they're able to control their breath in the way they need to find out if they have enough breath support to get through that long phrase or hit the notes they want to be hitting with the quality they want. So I often have students bring in a recording device so that they can more objectively find out what's working, not whether it feels right, because that's not going to be accurate and it's not, it's not a good way to assess what's going on. Exactly, yeah. And, and as you as you point out, working in groups is a fabulous way to help with that, so that people get feedback um, outside of their own experience. Exactly, and I when I have musicians as students, I always suggest they find someone who whose ear they can trust, and and do do some of the little experiments that I would suggest they they do with someone who has a, a better ear than me because I, I've, I'm i not a very musical person and I, I can miss a lot of the subtleties. But a tape recorder is a, or an MP3 recorder to bring in and actually uh, listen afterwards to what, what you sound like. You might be surprised at the difference that you might not feel, you might feel you haven't sung properly or you might feel that you haven't sung with the appropriate amount of effort. But in fact, there's more more volume, a better quality of sound, and, and you've worked less hard at producing it. Right. 
which uh, that's right. Yeah, I, I I'd like to address a a, a question, um, perhaps more generally about musicians and the technique. I think that of all the performing arts, say dance and music and acting, um, it, of all of those in the field of music, the Alexander technique is probably best known and most applied. Um, at the same time, I sometimes run up against misconceptions about the Alexander technique by musicians who haven't had any experience with it. Could would you could you address some some of that yourself? Certainly, um, I actually have run into this quite directly most often with the opera singers that mm-hmm. I work with, mm-hmm. and uh, vocalists sometimes think that Alexander technique is going to teach them to relax and that that's not going to help them sing. And I quite agree that learning to relax is not what opera singers or other vocalists need to do. Um, What is missing in that not very good translation of what we do as Alexander Technique teachers is that... um, a a sense of relaxation or collapse would be quite harmful to a singer. That is not, you are not going to be able to sing with support if you collapse onto yourself. And unfortunately, that's what most people do when they think of relaxation. Mm -hmm. So part of the problem is the word itself. It has come to mean something in most people's minds today. Typically, it means collapse sort of sink into yourself and people say oh now i'm relaxed but if the original meaning of relax and i believe the way it was used maybe a century or so ago is it really sort of suggests uh, not having uh, not having any unnecessary tension but it doesn't mean collapsing it doesn't mean kind of giving up the ghost it just means you're not you're not doing stuff that's not helpful to the task at hand. That's correct. And and it's about working with the utmost efficiency and clarity so that you're using just the right amount of force in just the right direction. And artists really understand this. They understand the subtlety, uh, the impact of very subtle changes and they understand that, unfortunately, more locally, kind of right at the instrument. And they don't always understand that as a more kind of global equation. And so really, one of the the most important things I'm doing with musicians is kind of filling in this idea that playing music is a partnership of them and their instrument. The instrument cannot play itself. And so the more they're understanding of of how how they move fills into that puzzle the more uh, successful and and wonderful they're going to be at that task mm-hmm. and you know another misconception that i have run into and i'm guessing you have too is a, a musician i see this particularly with singers but i i think in general that there's an idea that that an alexander teacher is going to ask you, it's going to somehow interfere with your playing technique, is going to, um, and, and, or singing technique, and is going to 
sort of take away the, the oomph from it. You're you're not going to be uh, sort of soften it in a way that is actually not going to sound as as good or as, as as exciting. Could you address that one? Oh sure, I'm glad you're bringing that up. Uh, this this comes about in a couple of different ways. One is as students are kind of bravely going into uncharted territory and and really being brave enough to approach their instrument or approach music in an unhabitual way, sometimes, uh, understandably, they won't bring all that they know musically into the process as they're paying attention to freeing up their necks and moving with more ease and and more efficiency. So in other words, um, they may not bring all the thinking they need to about their breath support or about the musical technique. And it may take them a little while to kind of integrate that back into the activity. So in other words, if I can try to be more simple for a moment, when they start to think about their own use and functioning, they'll kind of quit thinking what they need to think about musically or artistically. Mm -hmm. Because that's the new thing they're learning with you initially. It's the new thing, and and it's kind of hogging their attention, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so what I'll point out to them is I'll ask them to bring that thinking back right away so that they don't think they have to learn Alexander Technique perfectly and then add the music back in. Right from the get-go, I'm going to encourage them to use their awareness, use their thinking in a very integrated way. So they they have to anticipate if a long phrase is coming up, they're going to have to take a big breath of air in before that big long phrase, or they won't make it through, no matter how free their neck is. So they have to add that thinking back in, and they have to practice it that way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one idea, and that's a big one that comes mm-hmm. up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to say to a musician who's listening to this this podcast that might be helpful information for them? Well, the other thing I wanted to say about this idea that their technique will change is it probably will. And, you know, I really believe in a safety net. And so I speak very candidly with my instrumentalists and singers and tell them that I I do not have the power to take their habits away and their old habits are still there. And if they have an audition or a performance that day or the next day, that absolutely they should go ahead and do what they need to do to get through that performance and get through that audition, that learning to use ourselves in a new way um, is is a process. It's a process that unfolds, and I'm happy to say a process that where we can improve, our, our ability to improve is really endless. And so uh, as we navigate our new use and our new capability, uh, we have some choices about what we're what we're ready to use and what's really consistently available for us. And uh, it evolves over time. 
and and, and in line with that, I mean, something I I tell my students who are musicians is uh, explore the ideas that we're working with uh, in in non-pressured situations initially while you're practicing, for example. Uh, probably not the first time when you step out on the stage at Carnegie Hall might not be the best time to uh, do your first exploration of the Alexander Technique. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, explore it on your own. Uh, explore it with your friends. Uh, certainly, uh, during a, a lesson with an Alexander teacher is is a, a very safe place. I always uh, point out that you know, if I ask a, a violinist to say to to play something for me, I say, and by the way, this is not a master class, and I'm not even a musician, so it doesn't matter whether you get all the notes right. We're not really so interested in that right at the moment. We're interested in how you're functioning as you're playing the instrument. And your musical training, uh, you can you can bring that back whenever you want. But right now we're working more about you than than the instrument. Yes. And, and actually one of my very favorite stories of working with a musician uh, was a kind of success story that that doesn't happen often. A young cellist came in to see me. He was experiencing quite a bit of discomfort in his neck and shoulders playing the cello. So I watched him play and soon discovered that he really had um, pretty much no awareness of his own physical structure and support in, in the action of sitting, let alone holding a cello. And in one lesson, I kind of introduced him to his pelvis and the idea that he could sit on his pelvis and kind of showed him the bony structure and made a few suggestions. And he thanked me and he went off and I saw him backstage and asked him how he was doing. And he said, great. And in one lesson, he was able to get a clearer idea of his own physical structure and support. And really, it was enough to make him help him make improvements. And and so he wasn't so interested in a lifelong evolution and progression of of his playing. He he got a little bit of information that helped him a great deal. So that was really quite wonderful to to see. Yes, and that that happens more often than than we can imagine. Than we imagine that sometimes all a person needs or. At, at a at a particular point is just a bit of information about how they're how they're using themselves as you as your example in sitting or or standing just a little basic postural information that may not seem to have all that much to do with playing a musical instrument but of course it does and and the musician might be able to just with that integrate that into their being and and their the quality of their playing or singing will will improve dramatically yes so i guess um i i would uh, i would say the takeaway message here is that if you are a musician and anything that we've been uh talking about um, um perks, perks up your interest um Find an Alexander Technique teacher in your area and and have at least a lesson or two, and you'll pretty quickly uh, get an idea, a direct experience of what we're talking about. And um, 
it could make a huge difference in your in your playing or your singing. Yes, and I guess I also just want to send a message out to not just musicians, but especially those who are teaching musicians. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, good. Talk because, a little about that. Well, I work with a lot of musicians, and I work with a lot of teachers of musicians, and I've had the opportunity to go give workshops. And one of the most important things we can kind of get the message out there is to encourage students not to wait if there's a problem. Um, unfortunately, musicians get the message that they shouldn't complain and that yes, they should work yes. through the tension and discomfort and that somehow complaining or addressing that is somehow not being a hard enough worker or a serious enough, serious enough student. And that can end careers. And so what I want to say is that there is help available and that the sooner someone comes and learns, even before there's a problem, um, you know, to go and teach musicians about their own working parts can can really help their artistry and help avoid problems in this very demanding activity that they do. So that's my message: is to is is not to wait and not to encourage people to ignore their own physical discomfort because. It's information that's not to be ignored. I think that would be a perfect place to end our conversation. Um, my my guest today has been Ariel Weiss, who's an Alexander Technique teacher in Center City, Philadelphia, and Wallingford in Delaware County. She also teaches at the Curtis Institute of Music and the University of the Arts. They're both in Philadelphia. Ariel, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Robert.